1: So, subscribe today at slash unapologetically ATL.
0: This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Entering the digitally animated Van Gogh The Immersive Experience is less like walking into a painting and more like stepping into an IMAX fever dream. In a room the size of a railroad barn, painterly trains come and go, filling the interior with images of soft gray smoke. Flowering almond trees shed their petals on the breeze and reach to the sky, 40 feet above our heads. Painted sailboats float on a bubbling Rhone River as yellow stars whirl in the blue night sky. Walls melt, water pools on the ground. This section of the traveling exhibit is the climax of a multimedia experience with its super boosted subwoofer sound effects and eye-popping writhing visuals. The show opened in May and will run through January 4th, 2022. Bo Emerson visited the immersive exhibit and spoke with some of the folks there. Hi, Bo. How are you doing, Shane? Good. So, So you have experienced the Van Gogh experience.
2: It's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty freaky. Uh, if you don't want to take LSD, you can just go to this, and you can enjoy it without breaking the law. Right. Yeah, it, it sounds like
0: a, a pretty amazing experience. And something, it, I mean, this is different. This, this sort of trend toward immersive entertainment is, uh, uh, has really been booming. And, and I think Van Gogh is a pretty fascinating subject for that.
2: Well, he must be because there's five different Van Gogh immersive experiences out there. And uh, this is this is one of them. They've been around for years uh, in Europe and uh, have arrived in the in the US. Um, But um, they're they're all over the country. And I I can't explain why everybody loves Van Gogh and wants to make him the the go to guy. But uh, it's very effective in terms of just entertaining you with a story about him. Right. Not only that, but uh, you know, freaking you out with the visuals. Yeah. Well, I mean, his paintings sort of have this feeling
0: of motion to them a lot. So I guess that probably lends itself to this kind of treatment.
2: And and motion is the is the correct word. These these paintings paint themselves on walls that are forty feet high. All around you, you're in the middle of this uh, at sort of frenetic activity of uh, of paint traveling here and there, and uh, it's uh, and that's in the last big room. And there's a uh, several other rooms that lead up to it that give much more of a uh, of a sedate approach to telling telling the story about Van Gogh. But that last room is really just kind of a um, uh, like I said, it's an IMAX uh, experience. Yeah. So you, you, you spoke
0: with someone
2: there, someone involved with it? Yes, I, I, I spoke with producer and creative director, Mario Iacompo, uh, who uh, had uh, uh, was on his way probably to, to Miami, I think, uh, where, uh, where the next one will be. And we were actually wandering around in the, uh, uh, in the exhibit while we were talking, but we also spoke on the phone so you could hear what he was saying. Right. And I had a chance to talk to some of the other people there, too. Uh, who travel from a variety of places to come see this so this thing really has a has a mass appeal
0: yeah well I mean you can tell by the uh, ticket sales they were when they went on sale it seemed like they were selling out like crazy but uh, I I imagine it's yeah it's settled down a bit I imagine now with you know but people wanted to see it early on but but
2: they'll have plenty of chances since it's here through January Well, they told me they'd sold 200,000 tickets at the point that um, that we spoke, which was earlier this uh, uh, this year, and who knows how many more they will sell. I, they, there's still tickets to be bought, though.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, all right. Well, uh, cool. Well, let's let's hear from the folks involved with Van Gogh: the immersive experience. Thanks for bringing this to us, Bo. Thanks, Jane.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bo Emerson with the Journal Constitution, and I have with me Mario Iacampo, uh, who is the Artistic Director of the Van Gogh, the Immersive Experience, and he is going to tell us how come there's 200,000 people lined up to watch this show in Atlanta.
1: Uh, Mario, welcome. Uh, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, well, uh, welcome uh, uh I guess what I want to say is that there's, there's only 200,000 because, you know, there's 5 million people in Atlanta. So we've, got a, <laughs> we've got a long way to go yet. Oh, you but, want to get them uh, all then,
2: huh?
1: It's been, uh, it's been extremely well received. I, I think it's a combination of several factors. I think the marketing approach that we have online was worked very well during this period. I think, that, I think Van Gogh in general has hit this kind of wave uh, of popularity in America. That, that was maybe not as prevalent before. I think, uh, you know, it's uh, the visuals and the, that we all see on the internet, I think all of these things together have stimulated people uh, to come and see these kind of immersive experiences over and above the fact that I think digital technology and digital art in general is gaining uh, a lot of popularity. You know, the, we all hear about Bitcoin, we all hear about NFTs. You know, people creating original works of art. So I think it's it. There's a you have all these things together to create this incredible wave.
2: Now, just uh, for folks who uh, might have been living under a rock, uh, uh, the the immersive experience is uh, is not just uh, a museum uh, display. It's an introduction uh, to Van Gogh's life, uh, but uh, perhaps the the peak part of it. Uh, brings uh, the visitors into a room in which they are really bathing in an animated uh, 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 Van Gogh paintings that are changing continuously, and uh, the 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 room is huge. It's uh, uh, and it's it's quite a uh, mind-boggling experience. Uh, how would you describe that?
1: Well, I think the 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 approach that we've taken in the experience is twofold. One. We we start with creating uh, knowledge about the artist, giving people context. Maybe people understand on a on a somewhat superficial level because you know we're not we're not a museum, but you know we talked about all all the great points in his life that you know the painting of the bedroom for his brother sister and and mother, the the Japanese era that he that he that, that greatly affected him for a period of life. We talk about the his time in the vestibule, which is you know, in the convent. We talk about some of the, his most iconic paintings, his penchant for rep- uh, for reproducing over and over a similar subject. Uh, so we talk about all these things to give people a little bit of context before they go you know, in what is the center room, which is a 35 minute immersive experience with, um, you know, in Atlanta, we're, we're in a building at Pullman Yards that is over 40 feet high. So it, it, it's a true immersive experience. And what we project, we project on four walls, we project on the floor, and we go through his life. We go through his paintings. We, and what we try and do in the in the immersive experience is, is show the paintings how you would have seen the landscape when he painted them. So, you know, when we're, when, when we're showing the paintings, his famous paintings of railroads, for example, because there's several of those, you know, the, the train is still moving and the smoke coming out of the train because we think when he was painting it, when he was drawing it, uh, for sure the train was moving. Uh, we show, you know, the in a funny sequence where we show the crabs, uh, which is also paintings he did, and all the crabs come out of the artwork to invade the whole venue. And so we tried in that perspective, to have a lot of movement. And then, of course, you know, you have the large immersive pieces like uh, Starry Night, like Starry Night on their own, like wheat filled with Crows, which are you know, incredible, incredibly moving pieces. And we've re- recreated all of them in 3D to be able to show them on such a large canvas. We touch, we touch his Japanese era, you know, and, and in there we show a lot of Japanese prints to, to give people a perspective of how how it influenced many of his great works. You know, we think of, when we think of the Japanese prints, you know, we have to think of people like, uh, paintings like almonds. Uh, where right. It's really, it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't feel Japanese until you look very closely, but you can see it's a series of flat art, a flat art, one on top of the other to create what what looks like an, an incredible perspective. So so all these things together, you know, and then of course we finish with his time in the convent where, you know, he committed himself to a convent, but, but what we have to realize is that his most some of his most iconic pieces that we recognize today were painted while he was in the convent, the Starry Night. Starting out on their own, you know, all these incredible paintings were painted during the time in the convent.
2: And when you say the convent, you mean it was essentially an asylum that he had committed himself to because of his mental illness.
1: Exactly. I mean, he was. Uh, he had written to his brother. Uh, you know, and, and the letters form a large part of our show. The over 700 letters that he wrote to his brother. But right before then, he had written to his brother how he was felt, he was feeling this darkness. He was feeling lost, he was feeling depressed, and so he committed himself to the convent, uh, so it was a really dark period of his life.
2: Now, this uh, uh, it, it, it sounds uh, like a downer, but it's actually an incredibly exhilarating experience, and uh, it seems to actually track very directly from where you started out, which was doing special effects for Rush and Michael Jackson and Pink Floyd uh, in big concerts. Yeah. Um, the, uh, this is much more like a concert experience than it is like going to a museum. Uh, is, is that sort of what you had in
1: mind? Well, it's much more of a multi-sensory experience, right? With the music, with the video, with the animations, um, you know, you can't underestimate the, 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 the impact of the, the music has on the show. You know, it's a 35 minute original score. So you, you know, that, that drives the show. Um, but yeah, the idea was that I wanted people to experience a live experience. Um, and with the technology today, that's much more possible than it used to be even five years ago, you know, five years ago, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine a show of this complexity, at least not running six days a week, you know, for, for exactly,
2: months.
1: you know, that, that, so that's a very, that's a very, it's, it's a very important part, you know, uh, of the, of the experience now, uh- the, the, the New York Times uh, had a
2: story recently. There's there's at least five different immersive Van Gogh shows uh, traveling uh, uh, around the, the, uh, the country, including some cities have two at a time in them. Uh, there's one uh, that has been around since 2011. Uh, did any of these uh, give you guys the idea of getting your own show started? And how does your show different from theirs? Uh,
1: I think my... My inclination or, or or spark for starting the show really started in southern France. There is a, a place called Carrière de Lumières. It's a it's an old mine, and, and they they converted the mine into a into an immersive experience, and so that's where it started for me. And I've always I've always been um, enamored, if you want, with the bigger than life images. You know, sure. I, when I worked, I was executive producer of a show called Cavalia, which also came to Atlanta. You know. That's we right. had a, and we had a 180 foot wide screen. And that's horses and acrobats and, uh, and, and just a real spectacle. Exactly. Horses and acrobats. We call it the Cirque du Soleil with horses, you know, that's what right. often we refer to. So, so it's been growing for a long time. And so, and then we started to look at many artists, you know, when, when I, when I got, when I started to think, okay, I'm going to do one, you know, we looked at Van Gogh, we looked at Monet, we looked at Klimt, uh, we looked at Michelangelo, uh, Da Vinci. We looked at all of the different ones and what struck me about, Van Gogh and why I did him first was not only is a stunning uh, visuals you know the, the the unique brush strokes that he has are really were never repeated by anyone and and you really can't say he copied someone else and and also he had you know he had a really intriguing life you know all the the letters to his brother because when you look at the letters it tells you the story of his life you don't have to write a story you take the letters you you read the letters and it tells you what he was thinking when he was painting certain works and then that for me what I retained at the end really was that he only painted for nine years from the age of 28 to 37 and so all the because then he died at the age of 37 and before that he was doing some other stuff for his family but he wasn't painting so when you think about 900 paintings in nine years and over 2,000 drawings in that same period it's an incredible uh, feat you know that's all he did I mean you wonder when you know
2: I think I remember, uh, Gauguin mentioning that, uh, he, uh, uh th- he just painted without stop, uh, relentlessly continuing to paint. And, uh, Gauguin was not, not impressed with his technique, but
1: he was definitely impressed with his, uh, his energy and his production. Well, you know, in that, in that period of time, he wasn't really recognized as a great artist. Uh, he was, he was sort of seen as this kind of guy off to the side and he wasn't following the norm, you know, and, 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 you know, in any period of time in history or even today, when you when you step outside the box, you know, the, 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 the structure doesn't like that. So all the artists during that time, you know, that were painting more classical styles, looked at him as a bit of a beast. Like, what is he doing, you know? Right. It, it was time, crass like, and
2: crude. Right.
1: Exactly. Whereas, you know, it really gave, you know, because he was somewhat colorblind. So the inter, his interpretation of colors was somewhat different. So when you see, for example, a starry night with the, with the sun, uh, it was much, much more orange than it is today. Today is more yellow, but that's because of the fading over, you know, over a century and a half. So I think all those things.
2: The, so uh, the, the it should be pointed out that you all have put the show on in the uh, Pratt Pullman Yard, which some people call the Pullman Yard and the Pullman District, whatever. It's a wonderful industrial uh, 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 sort of compound with a lot of historic buildings, some of which um, uh, the, the uh, I mean, I don't know if any of them have been used up until now. This seems to be the first large event that's going on there outside of movies being uh, shot on the on the lot it must have been uh expensive and uh somewhat daunting to try to get the uh that big building uh, ready for the show
1: yeah you know we're working on an animation not to, to do a, a morphing from when we first day we walked in yeah i'd like day. to see that uh, yeah i mean you know the first day the first day i saw it there was raining and, and the roof was leaking and there was no doors and all the windows were broken i'm like i look around <laughs> and I, you know and i tried to say to myself okay Let's not worry about that. You know, a gallon of paint, and and some windows will fix all of that. But you know, uh, it, it was what caught me was the cathedral look. You know, we've done many of our shows in Europe, in cathedrals, and you know, and and I wanted, and I know, I know what that can look like. So I, I so I think that's what caught my attention. You know, and the forty foot ceilings, I knew were going to be spectacular. And also, you know, when when you take these buildings, they have their own charm. So. They kind of lead you a little bit in your story because the building exists, and you can't hide the building. And you know, in our exhibit, yeah, we have visuals in the outside rooms, but you know, we don't hide the 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 brick the brick walls. We don't hide the pipes that used to exist uh, because it was a it was a transfer station repair station for you know for rail cars. So all of those you know huge beams that exist, we try not to hide any of that. We clean we cleaned it up, we put a nice carpet on it. And you know we blocked all the windows, obviously, because that's what we need. But over and above that, we didn't spend a ton of time trying to hide the building because I because I think that's that the building for me anyway cre- is the start of the show.
2: Now uh, the the show will uh, continue, and it's six days a week um, uh, from ten until ten, and I think uh, even in later on weekends, uh, all the way up until the new year. I think January fourth is uh, is the last show. Um, The uh you've you've sold an enormous number of tickets. How many more are left to be sold?
1: 4.8 million. (laughs) You want to get all of those Atlanta people in there. So I mean come twice. I uh, I think uh you know that's always the magic question. I mean, there's a lot of tickets left still. There aren't a lot of tickets in this next 60 to 90 days, you know, because of the first wave, but there are there are a lot of tickets left in the fall. know and and uh you know at the the end of august and and onwards so there are tickets available you know you just have to wait a little bit so the the the, can
2: you i i know that we've talked about uh the, the the fact that covid kept people inside now they are finally uh getting out people are vaccinated they want to get a chance to to do something uh and uh this uh this came along at a good time for that but, but there's also, uh, uh, there's, there's many other things to do in town. Uh, and I'm just curious, if you can put your finger on what do you think it is about this particular kind of immersive experience that has really grabbed people's attention?
1: I think, you know, you've have, um, we've seen it on television. Uh, we've heard about it. Um, digital art up until now has, has remained a lot in Europe, these kind of immersive experiences. And I think that America is waking up to it. And I think there's a curiosity factor, uh, so I think all those things together. Uh, and, and you know, and, and Van Gogh is a beautiful color. I mean, you can—it's it, so pleasing to look at his paintings, right? So yes. that adds that adds to the to the charm of going and see one of these shows.
2: Well, and of course, Europe has the Sony Lumiere uh, uh, tradition that. Uh, ha- uh, was there for a long time before it began to catch on here at all. So I Correct. guess yep. there's been a lot of practicing uh, over there with yep. this kind of uh, spectacle uh, that is really much more nonlinear and not, not a movie, not a, not a story, much more of just an experience. I guess maybe now we're finally catching on to that.
1: Well, uh, I think um, there is always a, an interest in, in these kind of shows because, first of all, we, we consider ourselves a family-driven entertainment. Um, yeah, there is a lot. There's a ton of couples, but it's a type of entertainment that the whole family can enjoy. Uh, there's very little of that in the world. You know, when you go to a movie, you know, you're either going to a movie for teenagers, a movie for adults, a movie for children. Right? right you go see a movie. There's very few movies that oh, we can go as a family and everybody enjoys it. So I think there's that when you look at music, music is is for a certain age group, and then depending on what kind of music, but you rarely get a, a piece of music. Where the parents can go with their children, rarely, right? That's not; it's, it doesn't exist. Theater shows is a little bit the same thing. So I think an exhibit lends itself to that already to share culture and and these kind of digital immersive experiences. I think retain the retain the attention because it moves, and the music moves. So you're kind of you can sit there and, and and not say not so much watch television, but you can immerse yourself and, and look at these beautiful visuals and the music and. You know, we you have couches, we have chairs, we have area rugs, we have lawn chairs in there. So, whatever you're comfortable with to watch the show. So, I think all those things together lend lend themselves to to the experience.
2: Well, you know, it it, it kind of reminded me of uh, uh, that that uh, you know one of those scenes from uh, uh, that pointless painter at the beach. You know, with people sort of relaxing uh, uh, on the. Uh, uh, on the uh, on the ground and and looking around them and little kids uh, sort of dancing yeah. to to the music, uh, yeah. so uh, they, the the uh, uh, I think you found a way to appeal to a lot of different folks.
1: Well, Mario, uh, yeah, Campo, thank you so much for uh, taking uh, and, time. and make sure that they that you do the color and post and the VR. Yeah. That's right.
2: That's the color. Right. You should do. Uh, you can color your own uh, Van Gogh pictures afterwards, and you can also put on a. Uh, a virtual headset and walk around, uh, all, uh, as he would have, which I assume you made that trip to in the real, in the real town to look around and see if this was going to look like you wanted. Something.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I went down there when we, when we designed the exhibit and we walked around with we a look at the yellow house. I mean, obviously everything wasn't exactly like that, but I, you got to right. feel for the important points.
2: Well, uh, what people would, should try all of those things. And, uh, And I appreciate you taking time with us, sir. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Pleasure. Thank you. And Thank Thank you.
1: Hopefully we see the other 4.8 million.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. All right, Mario. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye now.
0: Concert goers desperate for the return of live music? You are not alone, but the wait is almost over. The bands are as thrilled as the audience's, says King Crimson bassist Tony Levin. Progressive rock legend's King Crimson will help reopen the Fox with an evening of epic songs drawn from their Decades Deed catalog. The California Guitar Trio will open what will be the fifth show of the aptly named and perfectly timed Music Is Our Friend tour. Bookending the concert will be screenings of classic films, The Wizard of Oz and The Princess Bride, a nod to Fox history and Atlanta tradition. Find out more about the concert and the movie screenings in our story on AJC.com we will right, we'll spotlight three up-and-coming hip-hop artists with the launch of the Live From the Label series, a three-part virtual concert series happening this summer. To kick off the program, Atlanta-based rapper Latto will headline the first concert on July 29th. Latto's first two singles made her the first female solo rapper from Atlanta to go gold or platinum, according to her label, RCA. Now, the Clayton County native will return to perform at Space Condo Live. Find out how to see the concerts on the Atlanta Music Scene blog at AJC.com. After going mostly virtual last year due to the coronavirus pandemic, the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, and its popular Tasting Tents, is back in person this year. The festival will run from September 9th through the 12th with the Tents, featuring food and drinks from chefs and mixologists from around the Southeast, returning to historic 4th Ward Park September 11th through the 12th. The tents will feature wine pop-up stations, a cocktail garden, live music, and a food and beverage pairing area. Classes and other events will be featured throughout the weekend. A full list of events for the weekend will be released in the coming weeks. Check out our story on the food and dining page at AJC.com and stay tuned for more announcements about the festival. Atlanta rap trio Migos have executive produced a new YouTube original series, Ice Cold, which explores the world of hip-hop jewelry. Hip-hop stars from the past four decades, jewelers, and historians provide a blend of bling and contextual history to the series, which runs a tight four episodes. Besides Migos, you'll see Lil Yadi, French Montana, Eric B. and Rakim, and Slick Rick, to name just a few. Find out more about the series and how to watch it on the Radio and TV Talk blog at AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guinn, and I'm your host Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.